Hello, sales heroes. Alex here. Welcome back to the show. It's a special day for me today because um, I have with me to ask me questions one of our show's producers, Francisco Fisher. He also happens to be my son. Hey, mom. I, hey, Francisco. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be here. Big fan of the show. That's so cool. I hear you have a question for me. I do have a question. Uh, this is one that we've heard a few times already. We've done a webinar on it. You can find that on SherpaCRM.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes. But uh, the question is, who should we hire to sell senior living? So this is really an important question. And so first you have to start with what is your sales culture in your organization? And how do you want to treat your prospects? How do you want the prospect or the prospective resident to feel when they interact with your salespeople? Well, don't you just want someone who can make more sales? Yeah, we want sales results. And sales results happen or come and better sales results when there's a greater understanding of how the prospect needs to be guided through their buying journey. So let me just tell you, you know, typically in the past, we looked for somebody that was really great at giving tours that could really sort of push the product and, you know, find the leads that were ready to move in and then get as many tours as possible, do the show and tell, maybe follow up a couple of times, like, what did you think of the tour or do you have questions? And then, you know, move on to the next one when that person doesn't respond. And what's curious is that most people, 90% of the people that are in our lead base are very ambivalent about the move and they have a lot of emotional ambivalence. Um, and therefore, they don't respond very well to that sort of one trick pony. They will think, oh, the salesperson was very nice, but I'm just not ready. Our industry has really not placed enough importance in professionalizing the way we sell. They have put a lot of emphasis and money on generating leads. And they still do believe that this is a need-driven, care-driven industry. And when someone needs us, they will come. And therefore, we need to be prepared to show the product in the best possible light. And... Um, if we, if we come from that point of view, then we need somebody that's really driven to you know, generate as much activity as possible, call as many people as possible, and then sort of find out who may have an interest or an urgency. Someone that comes in into your lead base, for the most part, they will not be, unless they have urgency or a care need, they will not be you know, in what we call the action stage. So, so let, me just, let me just reframe that to what it is that we believe, number one, that helps a person say yes to senior living, a prospect, a prospective resident, sooner than later. What, what accelerates their decision-making process? And that's something that happens in a prospect's mind. Obviously, because they call you, they have, they have a problem. What a person is looking for is a place to 
be able to preserve their identity and to live a life of meaning. What a person is looking for is how will this place that I'm looking at will understand me? Who will I be when I move in? How is this change going to impact where my doctors are, my current home, and how comfortable, how familiar that is? So there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of sadness involved in considering this decision. And so what happens is in the mind of the, of the prospect, they're thinking, they're looking for someone that really, for a community that really sees them, in which they can see themselves being themselves. So rather than thinking that as an industry that what we're selling is to the care need and we're selling shelter, we're selling the apartment and the care, if we were to shift that to say we're selling somebody a, some people call it a lifestyle, but I want to call it more a community of belonging, where people feel like they can belong and be themselves. And how can you communicate that if you don't understand who that person is and what will cause that person to feel belonging? So when we look at who do we hire, I feel, I strongly believe that it needs to be somebody that's very comfortable and very smart regarding their own emotions and other people's emotions and how emotions drive behavior, number one. So I believe that having self-awareness is critical to being able to be effective at selling. And, and the reason for that is that we... We have sort of two conflicting drivers when we step into our sales office or step into the tour or pick up the phone to call a prospect. On the one hand, which we, we can call it the ego side, is I need results. I have pressure to get this moving. I need to find out if this person's ready. And then I'm going to try them to get them in and close them. And, you know, there's real pressure to find that, that person. But on the other hand, we understand that we need to suspend, to ignore, or to you know, put that aside for a moment and actually be present with the person that's telling us they're not ready and be able to slow down and really listen to them. So the self-awareness bit is becoming aware that you're feeling that pressure and then making a conscious decision to regulate that to actually be present. So number one, self-awareness. Number two is this idea of being curious. Curiosity for me is the main ingredient. If, you, if you're not curious about people, what makes them tick? What was their life like? Especially when someone's you know, in their 80s. Like I wonder, I wonder how they got to 80. I wonder what they value, what's important to them, what was their best time in their lives, et cetera. That curiosity, not I wonder whether or not they're gonna move in this month, that kind of curiosity is felt by the prospects as a, as a genuine inquiry as to who that person is. And remember, these people are choosing where to live the rest of their lives. So that's extremely important that we're curious about their life and what's important to them in their life. So that's number two. Then number three comes the real 
kicker, I think, in terms of a, a skill set or an attitude, which is this idea of being empathic, of empathy. Very misunderstood, I think. There's so much on empathy and people throw it around as if it was, you know, we all understand that empathy is important, but what is empathy, right? So I think it's a real important part. It's a really important skill to strengthen and to practice within um, our salesperson, our sales team. We've got these three elements that makes a, a, a good sales professional. How do you pick up on those from a, a job interview? Or even yeah, before well, that, how do you look at a resume and determine whether someone will have empathy? Well, you observe it. I don't know that you can, te- you can test for it, but you observe it. So very difficult to find that out from a resume, obviously. And we typically look for people that have experience in senior living sales. So the ramp up or the onboarding is a little easier <clears throat> because you don't have to explain the nomenclature. And the problem with hiring someone with experience is is that experience um, going to help you or hurt you? Is that person going to have to unlearn behaviors that, you know, that are not really what you want for your organization? So the fact that you've, you've sold senior living for 10 years, it may mean that you've been doing the same thing for 10 years. But so how do you test for that? And, and plus, I, I've missed or I have neglected to talk about the fourth element and these are all I think equally important and they play together which is drive and motivation this is not just like oh I want to learn your story and then you know good luck to you this is really fun and I built a relationship no we need to get these people out of the situation they're in because if they called us there's a real problem whether it's stated or not so we have to have this this drive to help people. And we have to understand what it is that they need help with for that helping to be effective and fulfilling. But I always look at, you always should ask, why would you want to do this? Why would you want to? The first question is, what motivates you? What drives you? And when someone says to me, I really love helping people, then I wanna go deeper. What does helping really mean? How do you, potential candidate, find that you can be most helpful to people? Tell me a time in which you really were able to help someone. What helped you help someone? I want to frame this as we have to become great helpers and understand that helping is not just also having the intention, but it's understanding how that person can be helped. And by the way, The helping is more of a way of facilitating somebody coming aware and helping someone make their own decision and come to their own conclusions by the way you've guided them through conversations and some creative follow-up and conversations that make that person feel understood and seen and validated. And therefore, they feel, I may belong there because look at how these people are treating me like I have agency, like I have, you know, that I'm important, that my life means something, that it's important for them to see me living out my values. 
Because when someone calls you, it means that what they value about their life is no longer congruent with how they're living. So anyway, I talked a little bit about that in the last episode. So now motivation and drive to help someone get out of the hole they're in because they called us, deep curiosity about, about the person and what makes that person be who they are and make decisions or not make decisions, awareness to understand that we need to suspend judgment and really get ourselves fully intentional in listening to that person. And then practicing empathy so that we can deepen the understanding of that person. Einstein said, if I have an hour to solve a problem, I'm gonna spend 55 minutes understanding the problem and five minutes solving it. So if we translate that to our interactions and our discovery and our connection and our trust building with our prospects, we need to spend a great part of our time and having a person that can do that, that can say, before I jump into action, I jump into offering a solution. I'm really gonna create this space for this person so that I can gain better understanding of what will help this person move forward. So your question about how do I test for this during an interview? How do I find out if someone's empathic? Well, first of all, how much are they talking? Are they trying to sell themselves to you? Or are they asking questions about their job and your expectations of them? And are you asking them questions about what they feel is the most helpful to people? Do they understand? Are they curious? Let's say that you tell them, you know, in our organization, we are using an approach called prospect-centered sales and, um, are they gonna dig into that and ask you questions about it? Or do you get a pat answer? Ask about what motivates them. Ask questions about what's challenging to them. Ask questions about if they have experience in sales and senior living, ask them about their best success. You know, what was their most difficult and most rewarding uh, moving and why? And the other thing, lastly, that I would offer as, an, as advice on that is, you know, something that David Smith, uh, when he hired me 22 years ago, did, which is, and by the way, he did this because I had no experience in senior living. I didn't even know what senior living was. So I will go into the interview and I, again, I knew nothing. So it was very vulnerable for me. But what David did is he gave me a profile of a prospect of someone that they had been working in that office. And there were notes and there was some brief, you know, story and, you know, information about the adult children and what was going on and et cetera, et cetera. And then he asked me, what would you do? And again, I hadn't sold anything in my life. But I read this story. I read the story about this person. I remember they were actually from Korea. And I made something up that just, <laughs> I used my best judgment. And I said, well, you know, it sounds like there may be a cultural issue or resistance, you know, um, you know, them being from Korea and 
perhaps the idea of moving out of their home is, is really difficult for their children. You know, I'd like to explore more about their heritage and about what they value. I said something like that, and that kind of impressed him. But really, that is it. Come in with, a, show, them, show them a prospect, ask them what they would do next, and see whether they come at it with curiosity about the prospect or, you know, they just give you an answer regarding what, what you did before and what she or he thinks you should do next. Are they curious about the person, the profile that you're showing them? Are they asking questions or giving you answers? So that's a great exercise to find out how people think about about sales and how they think about a prospective resident and are they curious or, or not? One element of uh, prospect-centered selling that it's pretty uh, integral is stating your intentions. Is that something that you can expect from a candidate to do? And what sort of intentions? Yeah. I think we've touched on this already a bit, but what sort of intentions would would really uh, signal a good a good hire to you stating stating intentions is extremely important and i think that goes to your question sort of makes me think of what we had sort of touched upon which is this idea of finding out what motivates someone stating your intentions means telling your prospective buyer what your intentions are what motivates you so you have to find whether or not that person's intention is aligned with your company's intention for your salespeople. If the person's intention is to do whatever I can to generate more move-ins and what I know to do is just to, you know, I'm, I'm really busy and I make a lot of calls to find someone that's ready that I can bring in for a tour. Well, that's one intention and that's neither good nor bad. Uh, and if your organization is committed to a speed to lead approach in which you, you know, need somebody that just really works those phones all day long to find out the next potential resident, then that's fine. As long as the intention of the person and your organization is aligned then everything is hunky-dory. We believe that it's more complicated than that and it's a little bit more nuanced and that the intention to help someone is not enough. And as they state their intentions of helping families, which I hear over and over, I just like to help families and that's great. Ask a little bit more, why do you wanna help families? How do you feel that families benefit from this, from this change? And how do you know that the person that you're talking to, you know, your, your client, your prospect would benefit from, you know, what you're offering? So in other words, the help is not so much in fitting the person to your community. The help that, that, when people say, I'd like to help people, let's consider the fact that helping people is really hard, especially when people are resistant to this change. 
So we need to help them by helping them with their ambivalence and their resistance. First, anybody can give information on a tour, a nice tour. The real key is to find people that really understand that helping has to do with, again, stating the intention of, I want to really get to understand you and your situation so that together we can figure out whether or not this is something for you, whether our community is a good fit, whether you should move at all, whether or not you should move somewhere else or you could, I don't like to use the word should, but you see it's very collaborative and it has to do, the real helping has to do with having the skills to generate a conversation that deepens the prospect's understanding of where they are in the decision-making process and how would they benefit themselves from making a decision sooner rather than later. So the adage is have people that understand that in order to speed up, you need to slow down. You said earlier that hiring someone within the industry will speed up the onboarding process. They'll understand some of the processes, the language of, of senior living sales. Have you seen anyone uh, from outside of the industry come in mm -hmm. and succeed? And, and where did they come from? And what sort of skills did they have before? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. So example number one is myself. You know, I'm not an example for everything, although I'd like to think that, you know, in my in my um, own head, I find that there's an advantage of, of finding someone that has experience in senior living because of what you just mentioned. Uh, but there's also disadvantages in terms of the unlearning. The onboarding is sped up no question, but, but taking a chance on someone that perhaps was involved in charitable fundraising, anybody that has been in, that has some psychology background, that has a, in their resume some experience with any area that requires emotional intelligence. It may be that there's nothing in their resume. It may be like myself, I had no experience in any kind of professional setting before I started. And there's, you take a chance on those people based on the conversation and how you, um, the conversation that you have with them about what the job entails and how curious they are and how willing they may be to jump in. But let me say here, and it's not a really great answer. I wish I had, a, you know, a list of, a list of um, occupations or people that we should go after, especially now it's so difficult to hire. One of the reasons that we hire people with experience is that we don't have the resources internally to coach and, and train somebody without experience. You know, so we, we take sometimes the easier route, which is a very human thing to do. It's like, okay, I need someone that I don't have to spend. It. And plus, you know, I have a lot of pressure for move-ins. I need someone that's ready to go to pick up the phone and call prospects. And they don't need any kind of education or, or skill, skilling up. So I understand that. 
it is difficult to find, you know, good people that really are competent at um, emotional intelligence, drive for results at the same time, you know, if a business sense, an ease, a self-deprecating manner in which they can laugh at themselves because self-deprecation is one of the biggest indicators of self-awareness. You can laugh at yourself. Oh, you know, I screwed up. One thing that I want to say is that you have to start the hiring process, the selection process by you knowing what you want. First of all, look at your job description. What does it say? Does it say anything about you know, the kinds of skills that you're looking in a person so that when someone reads that job description, they can self-identify, they can understand what that means, or they can ask questions about it. Take a long time really writing a job description that aligns with the way that your organization wants to sell, whatever that is. That's number one. So be very clear on that. And then it's going to become a little easier to find the right fit because the person will identify with, with your values and the kind of person that you need or they won't. Whatever your operational value statement is, apply that to your sales process. See how you can weave in in your job description your mission statement. So if your mission statement is to provide, you know, I'm just going to say something a little easier and simple, like we're here to enhance people's lives. Okay, so in our sales process, we believe that in order to, for us to fulfill our operational mission of enhancing people's lives, we'd like to hire a candidate that understands, that is curious about what enhances this particular person's life because how can you fulfill your mission and generate more move-ins if your vision and mission statement is not aligned with the way you sell and if that salesperson comes in thinking that they're just there to make calls give tours and close and not bring to life as the first point of contact for that company bring to life your operational values. I don't mean that you need to train them in telling here at insert, our mission is to insert. I'm saying behave in a way that shows the prospect that you're living that value. That's awesome. I've got one more question for you, and it's a little bit of a tangent, but I think related. This is an industry with high turnover rates, uh, what are some ways that you can retain the people that you hire? I think that's a really great question and not tangential at all, at all. So the first thing that you need to watch for is cognitive dissonance. You're telling somebody that they need to build trust and connection and slow down to get great discovery and deep understanding of each prospects so that then they can um, help that person make that decision. So there's a lot of patience involved, executive patience. And then, you know, here comes my regional asking him, me how many calls you made and you need to make 20 calls or here's your quota. And then you find that person 
experiencing this cognitive dissonance. Yeah, they say they want me to do this, but then they don't measure me that way. So I'm feeling a lot of pressure and not enough permission or space or, or coaching or support to do you know, what I know and what the organization is saying would be effective. So make sure again, that there's alignment with the way you coach, the way you set goals for that person, that's very clear and aligned with the way you sell and what you value. There's a lot of pressure for move-ins. And there's a lot of, I already mentioned, a, a day in sales, especially when you do a good job and is, is, is a huge emotional load. You know, it's exhausting. That person needs to feel supported, um, given the resources, um, given the time. Let me say this, a salesperson gets burned out because there are very few wins. A salesperson in our industry will do up to 300 tasks on any given month, the results of which will be five, maybe five wins, three to five wins, three move-ins. Out of busy days, lots of different people with lots of different problems, they get three wins a month. And by the way, that's not enough because they need five and they have the regional telling them that. So I get burned out. And plus all these leads aren't ready and I want easy and I'm tired and I want to go home, right? And not because we're lazy, but because again, it is a huge task. So in order to avoid burnout is build a team. Don't just have one person do it all. Don't skimp on sales. Find yourself a sales support person and two salespeople. If you have a 120 unit building with 20 vacancies and 50 new leads a month, make sure that there's a team that is gelling, that is planning together, that is having fun together, discussing and um, helping each other understand strategy for, for their prospects. So that avoids a lot of burnout and helps with retention when you have a good team. When you have a supportive leader that is rewarding you on the things that they've coached you to do and they're celebrating with you the small wins. Out of those 300 interactions and activities that you're doing frantically every month, you need to have more wins. And so celebrate for those people the daily wins, which in our language we call advances. Who did you advance today rather than did you get the check? because the check will come if you're celebrating and rewarding and planning for advances on a daily basis and a team-based approach that shows the salesperson, I'm not alone with this monumental task of helping people get ready and say yes. And if you're asking them to truly work prospects through a difficult decision please don't send them to go buy balloons for the uh, event. Please don't say you need to spend an hour measuring curtains for your new move-in. Please protect and defend their time in their selling zone. Help them focus and help them feel that their time is really valuable. Well, I'm going to defend your time and uh, we can mm -hmm. wrap up this call, but uh, learned a lot. I hope our listeners did too. Yeah. <laughs> 
I hope so too, but this has been personally really fun for me. I'm really proud of you, Francisco. Thank you for being, uh, for helping me um, get the word out and uh, it's been really fun, thank you. On a personal note, if you're considering a job in senior living sales or you have a job in senior living sales or you're hiring people, let me tell you, it can become one of the most rewarding things you can ever do. So see you in a couple of weeks and in the meantime, stay heroic. <laughs>